Hey there, and welcome, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us. Today, I have my colleague and friend, Robert Fitzpatrick, with me for an episode of Hey, Hun, You Woke Up, Victim Voices. And we are going to be asking him some questions. Plus, along with that, I did post on my community tab in YouTube you know, an opportunity for people to ask him questions. We're going to see how many of those we can get through. Also, if you have questions for Robert, um, you can put them in the chat because we can, you know, hopefully get to them and answer them live. Robert Fitzpatrick is someone that those of us in the anti-MLM space really look up to because he has done so much work towards combating um, a disturbing industry, one that we find to be unethical. And so I'm so grateful and thankful that he makes time to come and talk to people like me. Robert, welcome. Thank you very much for joining us. Oh, my pleasure, Alonda. Thank you. Happy to be with you. It's I always learn so much from, you know, listening to you or interviewing you. It's just always such a pleasure. Good, good. Same, same here. I, I learn every time I get involved with you and and also, of course, you know, viewers, listeners ask questions that are always illuminating and instructive, too. Absolutely. And I did want to let you know, um, I did finish Ponzi-nomics. I listened to it as I walked my dogs. And I, that's a book definitely that I will re-listen to because you packed in so much information and it was so profound. And it, so much of it, I think I was walking with my jaw just kind of hanging open because there was just so much to take in. But you also confirmed a lot of things that I had thought of myself as you were going through it and giving, you know, very good descriptions and citing your sources and all of that. So thank you so much for writing that book. And if you do not have this book, I will look up the link on Amazon and put it in the chat. You most definitely need to get Robert's book because it is an absolute must read, must listen to. Any way that you're going to consume it, you need to consume it. Um, on the book, uh, let me say this, because there's a theme to the book uh, that uh, I'll, I'll refer to repeatedly, I'm sure, during our conversation, which is to precisely define the nature, the reality of multi-level marketing. What is it? And that's really what Ponzinomics, I had to make up a word, Ponzinomics, to fully define multi-level marketing. And it is a phenomenon that I don't think we've encountered in the past. It's a relatively new phenomenon in American culture, but it is born of our culture. So it's multifaceted and required a book. <laughs> to fully explain it and starting with where did it come from and the pieces of our culture at the time that it was invented, what were the, what were they that were used and played upon to invent multi-level marketing? And then um, also how did it uh, operate exactly dissecting it? And then finally, uh, well, not finally, but also how did it survive law enforcement? How did it get past law enforcement 
And then what is its strange power over people, which is the what's typically called the cult element of it. So it's a, it's a bit of a, you know, as you said, a lot is packed in there because there's a lot uh, that goes into it. Absolutely. Well, let me go ahead and start off with my first question for you. Because right now we have an opportunity for the FTC to potentially make a new rule that would impact multi-level marketing. How could a new FTC rule about deceptive or misleading earnings claims help people who are considering joining multi-level marketing? Well, um, I know, um, let's just say it at the front, uh, that the FTC is doing anything uh, is positive. And I think all the people in the anti-MLM community should be applauding their own work for this coming about. There's no question about it that it was public pressure that brought them even to this point. It, believe me, it did not just happen out of uh, regulatory vigilance. Multi-level marketing has been operating uh, without any government oversight of any kind since 1980, really 1979. So that's 42 years. They've never done anything. And it's only in the last few years that uh, a, a groundswell has truly developed in the civil society among the public. Of course, I and others were writing about it. There were whistleblowers. There were a, a book here and there. <clears throat> Every once in a while, the news media would do something. It never, it never caused or led to any FTC actions of any kind. So now they are doing something. However, all they're doing, and uh, so it's positive and should be encouraged. And anyone that has an opportunity to, to address the FTC should take advantage of this to ensure that the FTC doesn't completely blow this. And, and, and as they did earlier, a few years ago with the business opportunity rule, it was also aimed at multi-level marketing. But, um, how can it stop? Well, let me let me use a metaphor for what I think what I think it, this this is kind of doing. Your home is burglarized and all your possessions are stolen. Um, and in coming into the house, the burglars uh, broke open your door and damaged the lock on your door. The government, the police come and they prosecute the burglars for breaking door latches. Right. But the burglary itself is not investigated, but they pass a law against breaking door latches. So which is to say that deceiving people about the income opportunity and deception can include overtly saying, hey, you're going to make five hundred dollars a day at this while, you know, without working. It can also involve saying nothing to you that is withholding information about the reality that 99% of the people each year don't make money, right? That you don't make money actually retailing these products. By withholding that information, the actual identity of multi-level marketing, that it's not really direct selling, it's a recruiting scheme. 
and that it's a recruiting scheme in which less than 1% ever make money. That in itself is an enormous form of deception, also related to income. So the FTC uh, is now considering a rule in which uh, specific claims about income that are false or misleading will be prohibited. Since using false income claims is a key first element, like breaking the door down or smashing your lock on your door to come in and burglarize your home, it is a first step in leading you into this labyrinth called multi-level marketing. If there are any official prohibitions against it, that will be positive. That will give some protection, maybe, against uh, people. So false income claims, luring people into multi-level marketing by referencing, promising, alluding to income, lavish lifestyle, gig money, extra money, steady money, easy money, or, or even money that requires a lot of work but is reliable, all of those are false. All of that is false. And if, and if there can be an official prohibition against these things, it, it can't help but help. I agree. Anything would be useful. Something, I mean, a, a stepping stone, if you will, you know. And I think Beth said something. Um, we can chip away at the laws until we eventually make them illegal. We start with the FTC. And, you know, possibly in time, they could. I, I, I don't know. One of the things that I always think about, Robert, is that if being involved in MLM becomes socially unacceptable, that that could have an impact on people joining. Because if you're shamed, then you're less likely to do something. What is well, your opinion of that? Yes. I, and I, that's, of course, not uh, being shamed or it becoming, let's say, socially unacceptable, like lighting up a cigarette on an airplane or even in an office or even in someone's home. Uh, is now socially unacceptable. It used to be completely acceptable, normalized, yes, and legal. And now it's in many cases illegal to be smoking in restaurants and public places, certainly not in airplanes and so on. In people's homes, you wouldn't think of lighting up a cigarette uh, unless the people gave you permission or perhaps they smoked too. So um, how did that happen? Well, it really didn't happen by action of government. It, it really happened by the spread of information that smoking is, first of all, addictive and lethal, will make you sick, will deform the fetus, will give you cancer, lung cancer, and other forms of cancer, ruin your health, um, make you vulnerable to other kinds of diseases as well. Additionally, Secondhand smoke is dangerous for other people, especially children. That knowledge, that information was not known. I, in my own lifetime, I can tell you growing up in North Carolina, where the tobacco industry is so powerful and so prevalent back then, uh, we didn't know that. And if you said it or read about it, you, you were criticized for that. You know, well, you're being you're an anti-smoking. Um, you're threatening jobs. You're, you're prejudiced and so on. So it was the 
the, the, the exposure of this information became overwhelming and, and eventually defeated the disinformation of the cigarette industry. Multi-level marketing is very similar to that. It exists today because millions of people still believe it is not harmful. They believe it is uh, beneficial, potentially beneficial. Um, they don't see the destruction of it. They don't hear about it. They don't know what it is, just as we had no idea really how nicotine and tobacco interacted to create these diseases. We didn't understand nicotine was addict addictive either. So more and more now through your work and others, people are seeing the terrible reality of this thing behind the curtain. And so that's not the FTC though. That's, that's going to be done, I think, and is occurring already. The very term that you use in your, for your podcast, Hunbot, is a, a term of social criticism that someone who calls you up and tries to solicit you, it, you want to say, come on. I mean, that's, you're abusing our relationship. Um, you're, you're, you're better than this. You're smarter than this. Look into what you're talking about here. Don't just blindly do it. It's becoming socially unacceptable. So we got a long ways to go. But from the period I've been writing about this, investigating it, testifying in court cases as an expert, and since the very late 1990s, so that's over 20 years, and I can tell you for 15 of those years or more, more than that, it was not the case. I, we, we were talking in a desert and uh, it, MLM didn't show up in sitcoms. It wasn't covered much in the news. Um, certainly the government didn't do anything about it except support it. So it, there's, there's an enormous change occurring here. And the FTC... Um, earnings claim rule is, is a piece of this. Yeah. Okay. Well, I have another question for you. Is it possible the overall business structure of multi-level marketing is designed so that it is dependent upon the many people at the bottom are there to fuel and feed the pocketbooks of those at the top? Well, is it possible it, it is not just possible, Alanda. It is structurally engineered that way. In other words, it can't operate any other way. It is designed in this manner. And this is what I mean about, is it possible that smoking could lead to cancer? Well, if you don't know about the, you know, the chemistry of tobacco and nicotine, you wouldn't be able to know that. So if somebody says that to you, you, it would sound speculative, opinionated. But if you investigated it and knew the science, which is not that complicated, you would grasp that, oh my God, this is dangerous to what I'm doing. Smoking is dangerous, not just to me, but to people around me. If you know how MLM is designed, how it operates, and if you know more about the consequences of it, the data, 
again, people were dying of cancer from cigarettes, of course, forever from the beginning. The more people who smoked, the more people who got sick and died. But we didn't know about it. Living in North Carolina, we didn't know that. Uh, so that information was not publicized. It was not well known. Same with MLM. People, there is no data for, gathered by the government at all. In 40 years, the FTC has never investigated. For all the complaints that have come in the door, they have never investigated uh, the, the, the industry, the model. So they've continued to call it legitimate. But if you do investigate it, if you do dissect it, and believe me, this is not rocket science, then you see two things immediately. One, nobody's going to make money just selling the product door to door, person to person, on their own, from their home. It's impossible. I mean, the, the product is mundane. It's, it's an ordinary product. You don't have anything exclusive. The profit margin from selling it, the retail profit margin is not very much. You need a lot more for the amount of time and work involved in retailing. They are manufacturing more and more competitors to you by recruiting more and more so-called resellers. So uh, you have more and more competition. You have no protected territory whatsoever. And your customer can get the product at the same price you pay by just signing up. So it's anti-retailing. It's anti-direct selling. So, okay, now, then how do you make money? Well, you make money from recruiting. That's well known. Everybody understands. Who gets in it within a few days, pretty soon, you, you get it. Oh, okay. The real money is in recruiting. Okay, but how does that work? Well, there's a math formula, a pay formula involved in that. And what you discover if you look into it a little closer, that formula is set up so that you need a very large downline for you to become profitable. The people are quitting at rates of 50 to 80% a year. So you have to be constantly recruiting. So you need a large downline and you need to be constantly recruiting. Yes, there's an excellent picture of what that really looks like. That's Those blue diamonds are the people that you come up on the stage and tell you, you could be just like me. Well, that's what their downline looks like. So you can see that it's engineered in such a way that for me to have a large downline, the people in my downline are not winning. I'm winning, though, but I'm winning on the, on the strength of their purchases. But all of them are not winning. Well, you say, well, they could recruit, too. But if they recruit, then the people under them cannot be winning until they get to my position. So what is that? That's pretty straightforward physics here. <laughs> this is geometry and physics into one. You know, for there to be a winner, there has to be a bunch of losers called the downline. That's how it's designed. So it can't be any other way. You're not going to make money being a super salesperson, selling it you know, person to person. The system won't even allow that. And nobody does. So you only can make money with this recruiting plan and the recruiting plan is matched with a pay formula and the pay formula and the recruiting plan uh, on the, the pay formula, first of all, siphons most of the money that comes in from all these people directly to the top. The, the structure of it is such that straightforward. If, if you need 100 people under you or 50 for you to become profitable, then only one in 50 could be profitable. 
what's true for you is true for everybody. That means 98 would be unprofitable and two would be profitable if one in 50 out of 100. If, uh, so two out of 100, one in 50. 49 are losing, one's winning. Well, how, how do you characterize such a plan? Greatest income opportunity in the world? No, the opposite. The worst, in, not an opportunity. It's not an opportunity. It's, it's highly risky. No, it's not a risk. You're going to lose for sure. And remember, only a few can be blue diamonds, and it takes thousands of, them, of people below them to, for a blue diamond to exist. And those blue diamonds are living off all those people's losses. That's the way it's modeled. Well, let me so, ask you this. Uh, let's say, going, going back now to uh, the, the FTC's earnings rule, and I use the comparison of, you know, somebody burglars, burglarizes your home and the government comes in or the police come in and they pass a law against breaking door locks. So, um, but they don't pass a law against burglary. So um, what you're looking at here is that that model that we're, you have up on the screen there that shows all those losers down there for this one blue diamond to be making this extraordinary income is legal, legitimate. But if the blue diamond, according to the new proposed rule, says you can make 500 a week, they might say, no, you can't say that. Because as it turns out, almost nobody makes $500 a week. So small a percentage that you couldn't even graphically illustrate it. So you can't say that. So that person will figure out how to burglarize your home without breaking your door down or breaking your lock. They may figure out how to pick the lock. They may figure how to get in through some other way without or making a key that will get in. So in the same way, I, I, I know there's tremendous limits on this earnings rule because MLM will adapt to uh, implying, communicating, uh, insinuating that you can make 500 a week without ever saying 500 a week which will be prohibited by the law. So it's better than not, but you can see the real harm is this model. Calling that model a business, it's not a business. That's a scam. That's a swindle. That's a racket. And that's what's really going on here. But the government's not ready to do that yet, apparently. But they may tell the racket, hey, if you're going to engage in this racketeering and you're going to swindle all these people, you're not going to do it by telling them exactly how much money they might make. We're going to make that illegal. So that's a help. That's a help. Well, let me ask you this. Well, I'll basically respond to this statement because this is the way I feel about it. And maybe I'm right. Maybe I'm wrong. Um, but the way I look at it, I feel that multi-level marketing is a masquerade for perpetuating financial fraud and that fraud is just going on in plain sight. What is your thoughts about that? Well, I, I think that's literally true. Yes, it is in plain sight. Um, most, uh, and, and I, I've said this a, a number of times before because I'm always asked this question by journalists, the difference between a Ponzi scheme and a pyramid scheme. And a, a Ponzi scheme um, is Bernard Madoff's scheme that we all heard about. 
Bernard Madoff told people, um, give me your money and I'll uh, invest it for you and you'll get 10 to 12 percent a year every year. And they and they appeared that they were they thought they were. But he concealed that he wasn't actually trading stocks at all. He was merely taking the money from the latest investors and giving it to the earlier ones and calling it a profit or a return on investment. He was merely transferring the money. It, as soon as that became re, uh, revealed, he was finished and, and he gave up and went to the police himself and confessed. And then his son, who was, didn't, wasn't aware because his son had, it, it was concealed from his son, his son committed suicide. And so other people committed suicide who had been feeding money into him, into his fund, thinking they all were fooled by his concealment. That's a Ponzi scheme must totally conceal the source of their fraud, which is the transfer from later people to earlier people and the lack of any underlying enterprise that's generating a profit. Pyramid scheme is different. A pyramid scheme is doing the same thing, taking the money from the later people and transferring it to the top people or the earlier people. It's doing that. But it, for one, it gets the people in the scheme to engage in the recruiting, whereas Madoff did all his own recruiting. The people in the pyramid scheme must. But how do you do that? So how do you get all these people, in effect, to be participating in their own loss, their own scheme, that they are going to not benefit from, but people at the top will? How do you trick that many people uh, and do it openly because you're recruiting them uh, and you're advertising it, you have to disguise it. So it's not concealed, it's disguised. So it is true what you said, that it is in plain sight. It is absolutely in plain sight. That model that's up on the screen shows clearly where the money comes from and who it goes to. It's a money transfer. It's a concentrated, it's a pyramid scheme. The money from the last ones goes to the top. For you at the bottom to make money, you have to recruit a similar pyramid under you. That's all well known. The disguise, however, is that it has two disguises. One, that it's direct selling. There's a product involved. But in reality, if you buy into an MLM and get the distributorship and you pay $100 or in the case of LuLaRoe, for example, where we've now had two movies, people paid as much as $10,000 to get in the door to take a position. But in some of them, you take, you know, $100, $500. With Herbalife, it was $3,000. For some of them, it's $499, just under the $500 threshold, which would trigger the rules that cover franchising. But even in the ones where it's $5,000 or $10,000, officially, you can get in for much less. So they're not covered by that franchise rule. So... Um, but if you get in, now you've bought a position on the chain and you're now authorized to sell the product, can you really make a sustainable profit just selling it without recruiting? No, you, you cannot. You can 
you could obviously sell to your family and friends. Maybe you convince a few others. Maybe you go online and Facebook and get a few. But you can't do this sustainably, profitably. And you have to maintain a quota of purchasing all along. So, um, but that's the disguise. That's one of the disguises right there. The disguise of direct selling. So people don't join this thinking, oh, I'm, I'm joining a pyramid recruiting, even though it's right out there in the open. But they are told that it has a business identity, that it is a business. So the business of direct selling blinds people to the reality, even though there's there it is. And you get in pretty soon. They'll show you a chart on the right leg. You need two. And on the left leg, you need two. And then they're going to need four and and the only people making money have this enormous downline. So it's obviously a recruiting scheme. It's a pyramid recruiting scheme, but nobody calls it that. They call it direct selling and they call it a real business saying this is business. So it's right in front of your face, but you're told the opposite. So you have this cognitive dissonance. It seems to be legal. They call it direct selling. It's called a business. It has a trade association. It's endorsed by celebrities and government leaders. The FTC calls it legitimate. So I guess it must be okay. So yeah, it's right there in plain sight, but the reality of it is disguised, a very powerful disguise because direct selling triggers in most of us the, the myth of the American entrepreneur the gutsy, independent person who, in the face of a tough economy, goes out there and on their own sells something, right? And makes some money. And um, so that sounds good. That sounds like, you know, real business. The best kind of business, entrepreneurial, independent. It's not that at all. But that's what's triggered in our mind, that it's a business itself, puts off from the idea that tells us it's an opportunity. Business is opportunity. It involves contracts where people know what they're doing and it involves an exchange of value. That's how we have our food and drive our cars and, you know, get most of the things we need in life is through business. If this is a business, how could it be bad? So it's, it's disguised, Alonda. I think that's the, the word. It is in plain sight, fraud in plain sight. And many people call it that, call MLM that, fraud in plain sight. But it's, it's, there's a screen in front of us. It's not really in plain sight. It is visibly in plain sight, but mentally we are uh, shielded from the reality. We are diverted. It's that old thing of, well, look over there. Don't look straight at it. Look over here. Look at it through the prism of direct selling, legitimate, business, opportunity, income. Filter it through all those. You won't see the naked scam right in front of your eyes. And most people don't. Well, let me ask you this, which is kind of a follow-up along those lines, because we've established that MLM is based upon recruitment, you know, forever. Everybody's going to always be recruiting, and sooner or later, you run out of people. So since it is based upon recruitment, should the FTC consider examining 
multi-level marketing and this misleading earnings claims in its own category, separate from like the gig economy and the other things that it's kind of like being lumped in with. Well, yes, exactly. And and if I were to, you, I think you did ask me that at the very beginning about people writing into the FTC because the, the door is open now to make comments uh, on this business opportunity rule. And you'll, you'll probably show the link for that on, uh, on your site. So you can make a comment. What kind of comment is the most effective or the most true to make? And, and I think what you just said is, is what I would recommend to anyone to say to the FTC is if you're going to, if, if MLM uh, is significant enough to warrant an earnings claim rule, then the FTC should look at the model itself and not categorize it along with legitimate real businesses that may mislead you about the amount you could make but you will make some money. For example, they've given examples of Uber or DoorDash, um, where people may think they're going to make more money, but then after they subtract the costs of their cars, fuel, insurance, the amount of time, rural locations, not getting tips, <laughs> you know, um, and the danger in some cases of it, they discover it's it's really not worth it. it. It's not worth it. I'm spending more than I'm making, and you know, well, here's a gig, and you you know you'll you'll be able to earn extra money. Okay, but it's I find out it takes so much time. I got to put my child in daycare. Now the cost of daycare outweighs the income. Okay, that's tricky. That's misleading. That's abusive. MLM is not in that category at all. So what they should be saying is precisely the way you said it. MLM should be treated separately, distinctly, and not classified with these other conventional kinds of businesses. MLM is a unique. It is unlike any other business. It is based on an endless recruiting chain. None of these others are involved. There, there is no other business on earth built upon an endless recruiting chain an endless sales chain, a business that says from the start, wherever you are, Charlotte, North Carolina, Houston, Texas, it doesn't matter. There can never be too many salespeople. Now, how on earth could that be true? How could there not be a limit to the number of customers? How could there not be more competition by creating more and more salespeople? It's contrary to reality, which is to say it is a lie, a scam, a trick, a delusion. So um, that's why I would say to anyone writing FTC is, dear FTC, thank you for finally taking a look into MLM and its practice, universal practices of making false and misleading income claims. But do not we implore you, classify this unique type of business scam in with other types of business. Investigate it, consider it distinct, separate, and on its own, and deal with it. 
in that manner. That's what the FTC should be doing. They have been asked to do this for years and years. MLM is a separate, it has its own trade association. It is the, the association is not about lipstick, weight loss, leggings, nutrition drinks, shakes. It's not about any of those things. It's about the business model. The business model has been under uh, criticism and investigation for days as a fraud, scam, a swindle, a racket, disguised as real business, disguised as direct selling, disguised as an income opportunity. Ask the FTC, have you investigated how many people ever made money from this business? Have you ever looked at it? No, they haven't. Why in God's name have you not? Virtually every household in America has been in, in solicited, has been ha affected. I, I can't meet anybody that doesn't have an MLM story. Of course, they're all lost stories. They're all about looting. I, people contact me, tell me our son or daughter wants to quit school. We've got credit card debt related to this. We lost our home from it. We lost friendships out of it. And so it goes on and on. And it's in the billions, billions and affecting millions. We haven't even gotten into what the message is that MLM is indoctrinating people with to beyond the financial harm that it causes. What are they telling people in order to get them and stay and get them to stay in the scam? So um, I think that, uh, the FTC needs to be alerted. There needs to be a, a, a citizen demand, a request, however you want to phrase it, for them to not look it in with real businesses that are making deliveries where you do get paid. You do get paid. Maybe not as much as they told you you would get paid, but you get paid. MLM is you pay them. They don't pay you. You pay them. That's a scam. And that's what the FTC should be investigating separately. That's what I would tell people to tell the FTC. Well, you know, it's interesting about how um, MLM has been lumped in with these other actual, like, legitimate opportunities, whereas MLM basically is no opportunity to make money. And with that in mind, would it be better to not have a rule at all that has MLM even involved in it since it is really not legitimate? Or would it be better to have a rule of some sort? Well, um, I, I would fall in the camp of uh, that the rule is a rather a waste of effort on the FTC's part. And it's an inappropriate restriction, as I said, tantamount to uh, allowing burglaries, but uh, outlawing uh, breaking door uh, door latches in order to burglarize. I, I mean, um, by the way, can you still see me? It looks like my camera has gotten a little fuzzy. Oh, it's a little so, bit blurry. Yeah, let me see if I can do something with that. I don't know really why that is. Maybe it will clear up in a minute. Um, I don't know exactly what to do to fix it. I don't know why it's doing that. 
You have an external one? That, oh, you look. You look yeah, I have an external camera. Yeah, it's, it's an external camera. Yeah, it looks better now. It's clearer now. Yeah. So, um, yeah, you asked a real a tough question. This is a tough question, Alanda, because uh, thousands and thousands of people have been asking the FTC to do something. Now the FTC is doing something. And it's tough to say to them, but not this. Right? It's very hard. And I think uh, from my reading of, of the anti-MLM community, all the people that have worked so hard and to tell the truth and to get some response, um, I, I don't think many people would be willing now to argue that the earnings claim rule is useless uh, or that they are not going to bother making public comment. Uh, so um, I, I think uh, in general, I, I totally agree that an earnings claim rule is an absurdity for a, a, a type of scheme in which there is no opportunity. There is no income. Even if I make money on an MLM, it's not earnings. I just stole the money you lost. I, I tricked you with this endless chain scheme story that is unsustainable, can't keep going, that we already know from history, 50 to 80% are going to quit in a year, 99% are going to lose. That's by design. And it's done that same way over and over again for 40 years. God's sake, we don't need any more evidence. You know, so um, the, the FTC, for them to have ignored that, and now to go in and say, yeah, but they lie about the income and we're going to pass a rule, but we're going to call it a generalized rule. It applies not just to MLM, it applies to everybody. So we're not even singling out MLM. I mean, why are they doing that? Well, as I documented in my book, unfortunately, our FTC and other government agencies have become quite corrupted by money, revolving door, job opportunities. The former chairman of the FTC went straight to work for Herbalife, which the FTC later prosecuted. Others have been lobbyists for Amway. Uh, I mean, it goes on and on. It becomes, in many cases, you go to work for the FTC in order to get credentials to get a job with the companies the FTC regulates. So when you go there, you go to that company, and you say, I was inside the FTC for two years. I know how they look at your company or your type of company. So I have better credentials than almost anybody to help you scam the FTC or evade the FTC. So um, that's that's a true thing. And I, and I think that, uh, and that's, again, historically overwhelmingly obvious to anyone that, and I'd painstakingly documented in the book. And a lot of people tell me that's one of the more depressing parts of the book, disillusioning parts of the book to see how our agencies have become so uh, derelict in this, in this way. Um, so I, I, th I think what the FTC is doing is they're protecting themselves from from their, the, the, the more corrupt part of this 
is to allow an endless chain income scheme to be to be in the marketplace. Uh, I mean, it's a fraud on its face. Uh, the endless chain always puts the majority at the bottom. So it can't be an income opportunity for all for but a tiny few. It's completely unsustainable because you can't tell everybody there'll always be more people to recruit. That's not true. There's a limit on the number of people. We already know that historically. The outcome we know, the outcome is that 50 to 80% quit in a year, 99% don't make a profit. We already know that. And yet the FTC never goes and touches it. Why? Well, we saw Betsy DeVos, the heiress to the Amway fortune, daughter-in-law of one of the founders of Amway, tell a Senate committee that her family had donated over $200 million to political campaigns. What did she get for $200 million? Well, she got protection for her business and businesses like hers. And she's just one family. So they have been pouring money into the coffers of politicians. Politicians then restrict the FTC. The FTC has put in this untenable position of having to ignore the obvious big lie, the big fraud, and now under public pressure from the recovering Hunbot and scores of other websites and uh, Reddit and letters and news stories that are starting to appear now of cults, cultism, lying, people being ruined, wasting years of their lives. Under that pressure, they've come up with this watered down thing which says, well, you know, they tell people lies about, but a lot of people tell lies about income opportunities. So we'll just put it all into one generalized thing without really pinpointing or targeting MLM. And, and that's, I think that's the way to see it. And yet, even at that, I still say it's still an opportunity to pour letters into the FTC saying, stop the scam, stop the pyramid scheme, stop the endless chain fraud, do your job, investigate this thing and put an end to it. Historically, by the way, the government did try in the 1970s to do just that, to outlaw MLM. There was even a bill in the Senate to outlaw it. And the prosecutions that occurred in the 1970s would have stopped MLM then. But politics prevailed in 1979, 1980. They had MLM had, Amway had very good inside connections with the presidency at that time, with the Chamber of Commerce, um, and they escaped. And at that point, the genie got out of the bottle. And so it, it has been protected ever, ever since. Um, Go ahead, Alanda. You had other questions too. Yeah, yeah. Because I wanted to a- ask you this: that okay, the and I'm not going to get the year right for the business opportunity rule when that came along, and it was in like 2007 or something like that. Is that what year was? Yeah, that's when it was introduced, and okay. then it was actually enacted um, around 2000. 
12 or 13. Okay. I thought it was, I, I knew I would not get the years right, but I knew mm -hmm. that you would. Anyway, with that, the MLMs were not included. And so they didn't have to come up with an income disclosure. Now, granted, some MLMs do, and they put it out maybe every couple of years. If MLM companies were required to produce an income disclosure annually, what sort of information do you think should be required of them? That would yeah. actually then help people be able to look at the reality of what is really going on. Yeah. Um, there's a there's a couple of websites. There's one in particular, I think it's Sequence. Uh, it's Tracy Conan's website, She is which is filled with great information about multi-level marketing. Um, her website was focused a lot on Mary Kay, but broadened out to the whole MLM model. She has a list of these income disclosures. I don't know if it's a total list, but it's a pretty good list. Give you a picture. And, you know, let's say there's, you know, 30, 40, 50 of them on there. Uh, so, and they're in annual income disclosures. Um, so some people point to those disclosures and say, well, um, some of these companies tell you, if you look at the income disclosure, shows you right there, 90% didn't make any money. So they did their job. They disclosed it and people still join. So shame on them. Too bad for them. The in income disclosure was there. Well, let's just look a little more closely before we start advocating these income disclosures, annual income disclosures. First of all, nobody gets recruited by being shown the disclosure. <laughs> yeah, that's not I didn't know there was one. No, most, it's on the website somewhere. Sometimes down at the very bottom, there's a little tiny and eight point type, some kind of thing. Opportunity. I've seen it put there. The opportunity. Click on there and then. And then you get this thing and it's filled with numbers, percentages, charts and all of this. You go, I, I, you know, it's very difficult to read. Yeah. Very difficult to discuss. Uh, John Oliver show um, back in 19, uh, 2016 did a, a beautiful job showing on, on new skin. One of, one of those that does make a disclosure. And it showed how in the, above the chart of the disclosure, it mentions that this only covers the active people. And the active people, it turns out, are only 40% of the total. Now, of those active people, here's how many got a check. And then of those people who were active and got a check, here's what uh, the percentages of how it worked out, you know, in each category, uh, you know, from low level up to blue diamond and so on. Well, you had to do the arithmetic on this. <laughs> in order to figure this out, which he, as he pointed out, they conveniently don't do for you. Right. So, but if you do, um, it showed that 95% of the people, 95% made zero, not a loss. They made no dollars at all. No dollars. 95 out of 100. Now, of that little 5% that made money, a big portion of them made not enough to call it a profit. So, I mean, if you did these numbers, um, you would see that it, it, it is a devastating picture of an absolute non-opportunity, a literal financial uh, trap if you go into it 
based on those numbers. And yet, it wouldn't really come across to you that way had you looked at it. You wouldn't, you, because you've got to decipher it. And then it's only for one year. And this is why I think the annual income disclosures are completely misleading on their face. Because these schemes are in motion. I compared it to taking a picture of somebody who is falling, free falling from the 30th story or the 50th story down. Take a picture of him as he's at the 20th floor. He's fallen 10 floors. He's okay. Not harmed. Not injured. Looks okay. At the 10th floor, he's still okay. But where is he going? Right? He's dead. He's doomed. But if you freeze frame it, there's a lot of people in an MLM in that year's time who haven't dropped out yet, who are, appear to be making a little money, but not really, because this scheme has nothing to do with an annual time frame. It is operating daily churning, churning, recruiting, churning, and so on. What Here's the number, that, and the only number I would want to see, and the only number I think that would be an honest disclosure. Mr. Newskin, Ms. Newskin, whatever it is, <laughs> please tell us how many people have been enrolled under contract from when you opened the door in the 1990s to today. How many? total. How many millions would be millions? And of that total, how many were made a net profit? What percent made a net profit? That's what I wouldn't need to know. How many have been, because you see, for me to make money, I need an ongoing base of losers, 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 losers. One year time frame doesn't matter to me. I'm churning them in and out daily, daily, daily. January 1st comes, I'm still doing it. For me to be at the top, I need an ongoing scam operating underneath me. It doesn't happen like a normal business where there's a, 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 a sequence of reordering, where there's a common need being met and so on, where there's assets. See, an MLM distributorship is worthless. And every time they recruit somebody, they know that person is going to quit. So there's an immediate liability of having to recruit that replacement right from the start. They know that. So that's one number. What percent who ever have been involved ever made a net profit? Second, of all that number that have been enrolled, what percent are still enrolled? And there you would see again, the percentage that made a profit is as close to zero as you could get. And the percentage still involved would be, you know, similarly, such a tiny, tiny number. A little group of advocates at the top, these promoters, these professional recruiters at the top who pretty much are in there year after year after year, unless they defect and go off to another MLM and pull a bunch of downliners with them where they think it can make even more money. But the ones that are really in there of being there year after year after year after year. So statistically, 
for you to frame it in a one-year time frame is completely misleading on its face. If I'm going to put that guy at the top, he made a million, 89% here made $10 a month or a year. He made a million. We're going to average that out. No, it took him years of people to get to, get to that, to have that kind of downline. If you're going to count him, then you have to count all the people that have ever been involved while he's been involved or she's been involved. See what I mean? Yeah. Statistically, a one-year time frame is on its face a misleading time frame, Alanda. So an annual disclosure is not going to cut it. It's not going to cut it. You know, and and um, for it to be legitimate, it has to be a multi-year time frame, a picture that shows from when the guy th fell out of the 50th floor to when he hit the ground. That's what a multiple time frame would show, not, not what it looks like in a freeze frame. A one year is a freeze frame picture of people falling into financial destruction. So I, I think it's, uh, it's going to take, take more than that. And frankly, I don't see how you can have a truthful disclosure of a scheme in which you are designed to lose in. How do you do it? What do you tell them? That 99% will lose and have to lose by design because the only way you can make money is you have to have a lot of people below you who are not making money. Now, that kind of language you'll never see in an MLM solicitation, right? I don't think they would say that. <laughs> no, but that's the reality. So we're playing games here because we're pretending that this is a real business in which people engage in a contract, enter into contracts knowingly. I've never met a person yet who joined an MLM knowing what it was. Impossible to know what it was at the moment you join. So you're, you're buying in with the first requirement of a business being violated, uh, uh, a voluntary contract in which people know what they have joined into. Second, exchange of value. People buy into MLM not to get the anti-aging cream. You can buy that in a health food store or in a grocery store. They didn't buy it to get the leggings. They didn't buy in to get, they bought in to get in on this community of winners, this thing that's going to lift them out of the state that they're in into something forward moving to improve their lives, to produce an income so they can have a better life for themselves and their children. You don't get that. So there's no exchange of values, no fair exchange of values here. Those are the two requirements for something to be a business. So this whole business of an annual exchange, uh, it's all pretend, pretending we're talking about a business here. Now, Amanda MC said something a while back about she wasn't shown an income disclosure. I wasn't shown an income disclosure. But what I can say, and she and I both were um, Beachbody coaches, um, what I can say is, had I been shown the Beachbody income disclosure and had I done the math, the thing that I would have done would uh, trick myself and see myself as being in the percentage that would be making the money. And I think that's probably what a lot of people would see themselves up there. They're going to see themselves as the exception and not the norm. That's right. That's right. Um, although, again, I think if you had been shown a full disclosure that involved what you had to do to make money, the amount of time, the level of deception you would have to have engaged in, the story you would have to tell people to enroll them into your downline, 
the reality that they would end up losing to your benefit, I'm not sure you would have joined. So the full disclosure is not just numbers. It's the reality of the business, which is part of the contract I meant of yeah. knowingly engaging in a contract. Here's the thing about MLM. You know, MLM, when I said at the beginning of this, what is it? What is it? What is it? And what I've been saying here for the last 40 minutes or so since we've been talking, it's not a business. It doesn't qualify as a business. So, well, what is it then? What, what is it? And I've used some terms like a swindle and a racket and so on. I said I had to make up a name for it called Ponzinomics because calling it a swindle and a racket uh, involves illegality, but in reality, it's not illegal. The government uh, legitimizes it and so on. So calling it that sometimes just, it puts people off. It confuses them. How could it be a swindle and a racket if, if, if the government calls it legitimate? So I came up with the term Ponzinomics, which is a mass delusion. But there are two key elements to it uh, that are supersede this financial income disclosure. The first one is the disguise, which we already talked about. Once I disguise it as a business, I'm going to throw you off so far because it's impossible for you to, to for any of us to fully reconcile a business with the results that it produces here. That's not business. Business is something that produces value, creates opportunity, has an exchange of value. Um, this isn't doing that. So how could it be a business? But if I think it's a business, so that's the first disguise and the most important disinformation that the MLM has to communicate to you that this is about a business. So you're, everything you think is going to be in the framework of how business works, livelihoods, jobs, income. But once you get in, you'll quickly discover it's not like that. It's, it's not really about telling the truth. You can't tell the truth. You can't. How do you recruit somebody? And it's impossible. Can't tell the truth. So how do I do it? Well, this is where the indoctrination part comes in. The indoctrination doesn't begin to recruit you. You're a free person. You get in. You're pulled in with these stories about income. That it's a business. It's normal. It's legitimate. Direct selling. That's a trade association. Self-regulating. Ethics. All this crap. None of it's really true. But that's the story to get you in the door. Once you get in the door, you discover it's a recruiting scheme. Well, you've got up on the, on the screen there. What does a recruiting scheme look like? Well, we've already described it. The math, the geometry of it is, has to be a lot of losers for there to be a few winners. And those losers are not going to stay losers forever. They're going to quit. They have to be replaced. There has to be an ongoing base of losers, losers, losers for you to make money. How do you make money on a bunch of losers? You have to lie to them. That's obvious. Can't, can't tell them the truth. So now, okay, so I've got a scheme here in which most are going to lose, almost everybody's going to lose, and you get them in by deceiving them, and that's going to be my, how I make my living. Um, well, that doesn't sound too good. So the indoctrination has to normalize that, and it has to tell you that, well, that's actually not true. It can work. It can work. 
how could it work? How could it work? The math is pretty straightforward. For me to win, I have to have 50 below me. That means only one in 50 can make money. Uh, that they're all going to lose. 80% are going to quit within two years. 50% in one year. Then I got to tell you, you know, all of this can work if you believe, if you believe, if you have a positive attitude. Reality is what you make of it, Alanda. It's not numbers. It's not charts. It's not data. It's, it's what you believe. And if you believe that this can work and I'm on the stage and I tell you that's how I did it, I believe. And anybody that tells you you can't do it is a non-believer, a negative thinker, a, a, a nihilistic person, uh, maybe a hater of success, because this is how life works. The people who make money are the people who believe they can make money. The people who don't have money are the doubters and, and the losers in life. Right. So now we've left the world of business. It was never a business anyway. You got in and you started figuring that out. But now they told you, forget accounting. Don't count up your losses or your costs. Don't do charts on how many lost or churned. That's not important. There's only one thing important, and that's belief, confidence, positive thinking, never quitting, you know. So now you watch the LuLaRoe movies, the two movies about LuLaRoe, and you see it in shown right in your face. There are two leaders of the scheme are up there telling these people, keep buying. Even if you can't sell it, you keep buying. You never quit. Oh, you don't have time for your children? Well, that's, that's the price you pay. Boo-hoo for you. This is what success looks like. Wait a minute, I thought you said I'd get into this so I would have time for my children. So you've left the realm of objective reality. You're in this new world in which belief and how, what do you believe? You believe what the leader tells you. The leader is the authority. They know everything. So now we have entered into a cult. So you are now into a world in which they are going to control your behavior. They have dismissed facts. They control information. They're going to dominate your time totally. And they're going to work on your emotions, not your mind. They're going to keep you from critical thinking. They're going to tell you facts don't matter. They're going to tell you questions are only negative. So you've now left the word of, world of objective reality You've left your own identity because you said, well, I, I, I thought that, you know, no, you don't know anything. That's why you don't have any money. The guy on the stage, they know. You just learn from them. So you leave behind your identity, your history, what you think you've learned. You get separated from your friends and your family who are telling you, this is a scheme. I mean, have you looked at this objectively? No, I don't want to look at it objectively. I want to believe. You know, so that's what people are entering. Now, you go to the FTC and they say, oh, well, we're going to we're going to make a rule that will um, prevent them from telling you you can get five hundred dollars a week. <laughs> Believe me, that's the least of it. 
that's the least of the dis, of the disinformation and lying that they're going to do to you. They're going to take your soul. They're coming after your soul. And that is the main job. And I said this in my book in a, in a kind of a distilled mock interview that I'm having with the news media, which I've had so many of these. And they're asking me about MLM. And I'm now going through it kind of like I'm ta- we're talking here. And they finally get to the question about the income formula. And I show how the last person in, when they join, the person that recruited them gets very little of the money. The majority of the money that comes out of that last recruit down there at the bottom goes way up here to the top, causing these bottom people and middle people to quit eventually. And so the reporter saying, okay, I, I, get, I get that, that it's a scam. I get that I sort of understand, but why would they do that to the people at the bottom? And, and I said, well, you know, because it's not really about selling. It's not even really about recruiting. The people at the top are the ones who deliver the highest value to the company. And they perform the most value for the mission of the company. And the reporter says, what is that mission? What, what is the mission? And I said, it is to get you to believe. That's the most important of the MLM mission. That's the mission. I'm going to convert you. I'm going to get you to believe. And once you believe, I can, I can take you for years. I can take you to you are financially exhausted, Right. So now FTC comes along and says, well, we're going to take one little tool away from them. They can't make explicit income claims. Okay, that's a step. It's a positive step in the toolbox they use to convert you and get you to abandon critical thinking, walk away from your past identity, separate your friends and invest into a fraud scam that's going to cause you to lose money and eventually quit, which is the fate of virtually everybody, uh, you know, eventually. So it's, it's a positive thing, but it still is kind of based on the false, terribly false premise that MLM is a business. And that's why when they compare it to DoorDash, or Uber, or even Amazon warehouse work, um, I mean, that's just a terrible um, wrong uh, classification and grouping. And if if that's the FTC's position, they know better. And so that's why I say I would urge everybody, tell the FTC, separate MLM out, investigate it, deal with it. Don't try to lump it in and and cover it up as as a business like any other business. Well, that brings me to another question I have for you. Why should people comment about this new rule? How will that serve the FTC and, I guess, society at large by people making comments and telling them, like, the things that you're discussing with me? Yeah. Um, So I, I wish I could be more definitive here. I think you could make a case that, shouldn't even make a comment, but we already covered that ground. I, <clears throat> I think 
the reason people should make a comment is only not for the business offer, not for the earnings claim rule. As I said, we should be selling the FTC. Don't just put MLM with all these other companies and, and real companies and then say that it's, you know, you're doing something by just restricting their income, explicit income rules while, while you allow the uh, endless chain proposition to be made on a massive scale and legitimize the pyramid model. Don't do that to the FTC. But we don't, we've been doing that. We've been saying that to the FTC. Um, the earnings rule creates a portal, an opening, a door opening at the FTC for people to tell the truth about MLM. And so I, I would just urge people, let's use that door. Let's pile into that door with the truth, with real accounts, not with whether the earnings claim will make a difference. Who knows? I doubt it will make much difference. But the very idea that they have opened that door for the rule, at least is a portal into the FTC, <clears throat> which may lead even further. I, I said this on, on an NPR show on 1A uh, about regulation of MLM, that I didn't think the FTC is the appropriate agency. Um, if your home were broken into, uh, you, you, you wouldn't call the Better Business Bureau. You call the police. So if we're talking about an industrial scale scam, um, this should be the proper domain of the Department of Justice, the FBI. And, and there have been prosecutions of MLMs involving the Department of Justice. I, I went to the trial of the CEO of the MLM called Zeke Rewards. And um, yeah. it was brought by not the FTC. It was brought by the Department of Justice. The CEO went to prison for defrauding people. What do I mean by fraud? I went up and asked the attorneys. I read the complaint. What did they do that would cause the, the, the Department of Justice to bring criminal charges against the CEO, or they deceive people deliberately and harm them financially. That's what they told me on a large scale. I said, well, uh, didn't a lot of other MLMs do that too? Well, we, we, we didn't deal with pyramid schemes in this. We just, um, so the line, the line between, you know, what the FTC even does and criminal activity is, you know, unde unde undetermined here. So, <clears throat> but this door into the FTC could lead further if enough people go in it and tell the truth and tell the truth about their experience and what they know. When they did the business opportunity rule, which was, as you said, 2007 or eight, dragged on for four or five years or more, something like that, six years, um, it resulted in the FTC reversing its own staff recommendation. When they announced the business opportunity rule, they spelled it out so plainly 
that there we have a rule, FTC, it covers franchises. We call it the franchise rule. And the franchise rule requires significant disclosure. How many other people have bought franchises in this area? What is their average turnover, volume? What are their average costs? And so on. Um, Give me some names of people who have bought this same business opportunity that you're offering me so I can go talk to them. So all they said was that rule had a $500 threshold. If the minimum requirement to get in was 500 or more, the rule was triggered. If the minimum requirement to get in was under that, it was not covered. So the whole idea of the business opportunity rule was to bring in to the original business uh, franchise rule companies that were not classified previously as franchises. That was the whole idea. And when the franchise law was passed, of course, uh, is in the 70s, uh, multi-level marketing exploded about that time. And millions and millions more people have been harmed by MLM than by anything going on in franchising. And yet they were not covered at all, MLMs. So that was the whole idea of the rule. And lo and behold, what happened? The Direct Selling Association orchestrated 18,000 cookie cutter letters uh, from MLM people. Now, remember, relative to the number of people in MLM, 16, 15 at that time, 13 million or more, maybe 15 million, 18,000 letters of support for MLMs, not that many. But the FTC didn't just get letters from them. They got letters from congressmen, members of the Chamber of Commerce, all kinds of prominent people, please leave MLM out of this. It's ML, uh, creating M, unbelievable income opportunity for the little guy, for the average person. None of that's true. <clears throat> but on that basis, the FTC reversed itself and passed the rule, but exempted MLMs. The whole purpose of the rule was to cover MLMs and they exempted them. So, I think, you know, another reason perhaps for people to participate this time, very few people wrote uh, against MLM then. Again, we're talking about information, 2007, not that many years ago, but informationally, it's a lifetime ago. Very few people really, all, all these podcasts, websites, books, documentaries, um, have all come since then. It was very little back then. So it may be a chance for the truth to get told on a, on a pretty big scale if enough people get involved. They weren't involved last time, but maybe this time they will. Well, I hope so. I really hope that people are planning on making a comment. And I am going to drop Michelle Carpenter's website link here. MLM change, which you can pick your language. There are, and one of them I can't read, one's Tagalog, Spanish, and English, and there's a fourth one, but I don't know what those symbols mean, so I apologize. But Michelle has put together some great resources. So if you are so inclined, and I hope that you are, to making a statement about this potential rule, here is where you can go and get a lot of information. 
And now, Robert, I have one last question for you. I know we're kind of like running out of time, but I wanted to yeah. squeeze this in. And that is, if you could give someone just one piece of advice, someone who has been in MLM, maybe for many years, maybe for months, but they've been in it and they have, you know, bought into the dream of this, this illusion that is put forth that I was part of and many of the people in the chat and you yourself, Robert, we were all part of the victims of this. What is a one thing, just a piece of advice you could offer to someone who is in it? Uh, I, I wish I could say, you know, powerfully, decisively, <clears throat> dramatically one thing, Alanda, that would suddenly penetrate and cause an awakening on the part of the people who are uh, sort of mesmerized or habitually involved. Um, I don't have a single thing, um, <clears throat> but uh, what I try to direct people back to are concrete realities, not theories, but their own life experience. Um, are you making money? Has what they've told you come true? Is your experience in this benefiting you and others? In other words, to get them back to trusting their own eyes and experience is it going in the direction you wanted when you first got involved, which is a way of getting people to return to their basic values, their old identities, because they've kind of lost their identity if they've been in it a while. I mean, they couldn't help but lose some of their identity because their, their own identity is constantly attacked as the loser. The reason you don't have money is that it's a character flaw. You're a loser. You don't have what it takes. You're going to learn what it takes here from us. It's the only place you'll get it. So forget what you knew, who you were, and just come and follow us. Do what we tell you. So to get people back to reconnect with their original hopes, dreams, values, and to look more concretely at what is going on in terms of the amount of time they've put in, what have been the costs, how much have they spent, how much have they actually gained, not generally, but really. Um, so this isn't about judging, attacking, that doesn't work, telling who's right, who's wrong, that doesn't work, but trying to get people to just look at this thing practically, directly, concretely, trusting their own experience, pulling them back and then reminding them, why did you get into this to begin with? Are you doing what you really want to be doing in day by day in this? Um, that's been the formula that I have seen has been most effective. I can give you a whole list of things that don't work, <laughs> that don't uh, are not effective. Um, I'm not saying uh, that I've been personally that effective even in, you know, in personally, I've had members of my family be involved who just 
stayed away from me because they thought I was the negative, even though they knew I was testifying in court and was writing about this, they, they just chose to stay away because they've been told don't go near a negative person. Yeah. You're negative. You're too negative. Yeah. yeah. My book is the best that I could offer uh, in the way of a factual account of MLM. Where did it come from? What actually is it? How did it get invented? Um, how does it operate, you know, dissecting it, which is not that complicated. Four elements to the thing, you know, the pay to play, you know, the endless chain, the recruiting mandate, the money transfer, just taking a look at how that really works nakedly, directly. Um, and then looking at how they embedded themselves and insinuated themselves into uh, important organizations like the Chamber of Commerce and the Republican Party, the Democratic Party, to protect themselves from law enforcement, and then looking at the methods that are used <clears throat> that are undue influence, called undue influence, brainwashing, uh, mind control, and so on, whatever term you want to use, but they are manipulative highly dangerous, powerful methods of dominating people's minds, gaining control over them so that they will continue to expend money to their loss and proselytize or market for the company to other people's losses. It takes a big, powerful method of persuasion to get people to do that. So I go into how they do that. Where did this whole cult technology come from and they didn't invent it it's shared by you know political and religious organizations uh fanatical organizations not conventional religious or political organizations but the fanatical ones and um, to try to put mlm into a an understandable uh picture that a person could understand grasp think about if they do, I think they wouldn't get anywhere near it, you know, if they understood that. And the book, so I don't think of the book just as for an individual to read and then escape or something. I, re I thought of it as a way to get that information and hopefully more people would share it and it will enter the culture and combat the disinformation that has been so prevalent. Well, I do know that people who are involved in anti-MLM content creation we talk about your book all the time and I will agree with Michelle. I am so thankful that there is an audio book because that's what I use. I have the physical book because I like having physical books, but having the audio book and having you read it to me, Robert was just really, really, I think helped to penetrate more since I know who you are and I know your voice and you're telling me the full story. It is definitely, definitely a must read. And I want to thank you so much for your time. And I'm hoping that you'll come back sometime. And I really would like to go more into the, um, the cult side of this. No, me too. I'd love to talk about that. It's a subject that, uh, um, again, it's not beyond understanding. It's not a mysterious thing. It's a real thing, a human thing. And it's, you know, can, it bears scrutiny and we, we could do that. I'd be glad to do that. I would love to do that. And I'd love to be able, because I have used the bite model, because I think I've told you that I have been covering a company called On Passive now yeah. for many months. But I'd like to use that as a backdrop, because it is such an insidious 
thing that is happening and it has been going on since 2018 yet to actually launch anything, but has all of these people ensnared in the belief that this is the answer to everything. And yesterday I read a post that somebody created that they were so excited that they got somebody to join underneath them, someone who has polio and cannot like move much of their body. And it's not that person's fault because they know not what they're really in is those higher ups. But, you know, every time I think it can't get worse, it does. And so I would love for you to be able to come back soon and talk about it because I think the cult part of it is something that we all need to talk about more and more and more because it is, it's just, it seeps into like every pore of your body. That's, that's why I've said it there. The mission is to capture your soul. Yeah, absolutely. Well, if you could just hang on for a minute while I, you know, sign off and everything and we'll say our goodbyes. I want to say thank you so much to my moderators. Thank you to everyone who has participated in the chat. I always appreciate your doing so. And if you've been a lurker, just hanging out and everything, thank you for coming by. And tomorrow, do come by in the evening. It's probably going to be around six or so. I will be reading um, the actual university, and I'm using the term loosely, that Ash Mufara attended. I will be reading, and Beth, the Queen of Spades, she'll be reading with me, um, basically complaints about this for-profit university that Ash Mufara attended. So that should at least be a fun thing, because we can use our unbot voices for that. But anyway, thank you so much, Robert, and everybody else. You have a fantastic day. And don't forget, you're beautiful and I love you.